Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. Well, good morning, LifePoint. It is great to be with you Today, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Ben Wright. I'm the associate pastor of student life here at the church. It is such a joy for me to be able to preach to you from God's word today. This morning, we're going to continue in our summer series called Stories for Real Christ Followers. We've spent this summer looking at the gospel of Matthew and how Jesus shows us how to live as followers of him. And over the past few weeks, we've been in Matthew chapter 18 talking about kingdom greatness. And then last week, Pastor Jonathan talked about temptations to sin. And this morning, we're going to be in Matthew 18 verses 10 through 14 talking about kingdom love. Now, when you hear the phrase kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven, I want you to think about this is life as God intended it to be. Life as God intended it to be under the rule and the reign of Jesus. And so this morning, we're going to talk about kingdom love. So let's just go ahead. Let's dive right into the text. Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. We're going to be looking at verses 10 through 14 in our time together this morning. Go ahead and look with me starting in verse 10. Verse 10, Jesus says, See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray." So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. I want you to think about a time in your life that you were so greatly impacted by something that it changed how you lived. So maybe you attended a conference and you heard a really powerful speaker. Maybe you read a book. Maybe you listened to a podcast, you met somebody, you started a Netflix series, you just saw the Barbie movie, okay? How did that experience impact you and change how you live? Back in 2010, a movie came out called The Social Network. It's the story of how Mark Zuckerberg started Facebook and ruined the world forever, amen? Okay. Well, it begins with Mark and his friend Eduardo in their uh, dorm room at Harvard. And the sad thing is nobody really remembers Eduardo. Don't worry, he's a billionaire. He's fine. But they were in their dorm room creating some kind of social media platform that could connect Harvard students to one another. And so what they came up with was something called the Facebook. And the Facebook started on Harvard's campus. Eventually, it spread to all of the universities in the greater Boston area, and then it spread to all of the universities uh, throughout America, and then pretty much to anybody who had an email address. But it's a fascinating story that details the college years of Mark and how he went from a college dropout to creating what might be the biggest invention of the 21st century. 
Well, I first saw this movie whenever I was a sophomore in college, and uh, like a lot of other sophomores in college, I had no idea what I was doing with my life. I was living the typical college life, a bunch of guys in a little house that was absolutely disgusting. Um, I thought at the time it was awesome, but now when I look back on it, you know, having mice and cockroaches run everywhere is not the way to live. Uh, We drank a lot of coffee, and we were, like most college students, absolutely broke. But as me and my best friend were sitting there watching this movie, I could just sense that both of us were thinking the exact same thing. This can be us. How can we be Mark and his friend? Mark and his friend. How can we create something that's going to change the world forever? And so after that movie, we began brainstorming for hours upon hours in the morning on how we can be them. How can we create the next great thing? And after hours upon hours and days upon days of discussing, the best thing we could come up with was a retail arbitrage business. Basically, we sold a lot of iPhones. But watching this movie impacted everything we did. We went part-time in school. It impacted the way we, we thought about things, how we function, what we did. And I think this morning... As we look at Matthew chapter 18, verses 10 through 14, in the parable of the lost sheep, I think that's exactly what God is trying to show us. He wants to show us how amazing his love is for his people, that we would then go and turn and love one another with that same kind of love. And so here's our big idea for this morning as we look at the parable of the lost sheep. Our big idea is this, that God's love transforms us into people that love one another. God's love transforms us into people that love one another. What I want to do this morning is I want us to look at two evidences of God's love for us. Two evidences of God's love for us. And then towards the end of this message, we're going to look at three responses to God's love. So something practical, something that we can apply to our lives. Three responses to God's love. But let's go ahead and let's look at the first evidence of God's love for us. The first evidence is this. God's love for us doesn't change based upon our spiritual maturity. God's love for us doesn't change based upon our spiritual maturity. Go ahead and look with me at verse 10 in Matthew chapter 18. At this point in the gospel of Matthew, Jesus is in the midst of giving his disciples his fourth discourse or his fourth important teaching session. The next one, the fifth one, this is going to be the big one. This will be the last one, but it'll be the big one. This is where he's going to talk about his death, his resurrection, his return, his eventual judgment. But for now, Jesus is teaching his disciples about what community looks like in the kingdom of God. So look with me at verse 10. Jesus says, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. As we've seen in previous weeks, little ones here doesn't mean actual children, but it means Jesus' disciples. So these are those of childlike faith, humility, and trust in Jesus. Jesus is telling his disciples, hey, don't look down upon, don't despise, don't think you're better than any one of God's people. 
Jesus probably saw all of the religious leaders around him, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, those that were known for um, externally following the law really well, but they were also known for looking down upon those who didn't follow the law as well as them. And Jesus is trying, I think, here to warn his disciples. He's saying, don't be like that. Don't show partiality. Don't show favoritism like those religious leaders do. And then Jesus shows us how serious he is. Look with me at the rest of verse 10. He says, For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. So Jesus makes this statement to show God's love for his people. He loves his people so much that he even has angels watching over them. Now we got to talk about angels for a second because I think Christians often have a poor understanding of what angels are and what they do. So biblically, angels are personal spiritual beings who have intelligence, they have emotions, they have a will. We see that there are both good and bad angels. Satan himself is a fallen angel. And though angels are spiritual beings, we see in scripture that they can even take on physical bodies. But what we mostly see about angels in scripture is that they serve God's children. In the book of Daniel, it appears that each nation has their own angel. In Revelation, we are introduced to the angels of each of the churches. Peter in Acts chapter 12 is rescued by an angel and angels shut the mouth of lions to protect Daniel. Hebrews 1.14 says this about angels. It says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? So God provides angels to serve his people, to serve you and I. Angels are different than humans. Humans, you and I, we were made in the image of God. Angels were not. Humans cannot become Angels. Now, I know it sounds super spiritual or even sweet sometimes to call someone our guardian angel when they pass, but it's actually just poor theology. And I don't believe that this text is saying that every single one of us has our own guardian angel, but I do think it's saying that angels do watch over God's people. Most of all, I think what, what Jesus is trying to show us, his disciples here, is the value of each and every one of God's people. That no believer is worth more to God than another. No matter what their spiritual maturity level is or what they're struggling with in life, God loves his people unconditionally. So I have three boys, six, four, and almost two, and one of the most sanctifying moments in my entire life and even in my entire marriage has been called potty training. Now, some of you in here are freaks and you've been trying to potty train your children ever since they've been in this world, okay? Some of you have successfully been able to potty train them when they were 18 months old and 24 months old. Seriously, bravo, I'm so happy for you. You're great uh, because Carmen and I have had a way different experience. Honestly, there were points where we were just like, is he ever going to figure this out? Is he ever going to be potty trained? One time we were, when we were living in Jefferson City, we said, okay, buddy, just sit on the potty, okay? We're gonna put you in here for 15 minutes. I'm gonna give you daddy's iPad. You can just watch Baby Shark on repeat over and over and over again. We come back and 15 minutes later, there's pee everywhere and my iPad is just smashed to pieces. See, 
The amount of cleaning we have done with trying to potty train our boys is ridiculous. But hey, after years and tears and a lot of repentance in our marriage, he finally figured it out. Now it's a breeze for him. He can manage all that stuff by himself and it's awesome. But that's not the case with our almost two-year-old. We have not even begun to try to potty train him yet. He is still 100% completely dependent upon us. He's at a whole other maturity level than our oldest son, Owen. But here's the deal. My love for my son, Owen, even in those most frustrating moments with him, never changed. I never loved him more because he was potty trained and I never loved him less in those messiest of moments. And I don't love him more than our youngest son, Liam, just because he's easier to handle in that area. I love all of my boys the same, regardless of their maturity level and who might be more advanced than the other. In church, the same is true of God's love for his children. Jesus says in verse 10, see that you do not despise one of these little ones because God doesn't despise any of his children. God is not looking down upon any of his children because they're at a different maturity level than another. God is not looking down upon you because of your failures. God isn't looking down upon you because of that nagging sin you just can't seem to be. Church, it doesn't matter if you have grown up in the church your entire life and you have memorized Leviticus verse by verse or you were strung out on drugs a week ago and you recently came to faith in Jesus. God loves you no more or no less because of your works, because it's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about me. If your faith is in Jesus, it's about Jesus and his works for you. And this is such good news for my soul and hopefully your souls as well. This can be so freeing because we don't have to look at others around us and compare ourselves to them. We can live content in where God has us right now knowing that he's in control and his love won't change for us based upon our own spiritual maturity. That's the first evidence of God's love for us. His love does not change based upon our own spiritual maturity. Let's look at the second evidence of God's love for us. The second evidence of God's love for us is that God loves us by never giving up on us. God loves us by never giving up on us. Look with me at verse 12, and you might be wondering real quick, where in the world did verse 11 go? Okay, we jumped from 10 to 12. Well, actually, uh, in the earlier, in the, the original manuscripts, the earliest Greek manuscripts that we have, there was no actual verse 11. And so in these later versions, the one now you're reading, they have just removed it altogether. And so it goes from verse 10 to 12. So look with me at verse 12. Jesus is about to share a story with his disciples. It's a parable. A parable is just a short story with the spiritual meanings. And listen to what this, listen to Jesus' story. He says, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? So my father-in-law is a farmer. They have hundreds of acres with cattle on them. And I remember one weekend being over at their house and um, people started running in the house worried because someone had left the gate open. There was a cow on the highway. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been in a car that have hit deer before. 
I do not want to be in a car that hits a cow. So I'm not kidding you. It felt like they got SEAL Team 6 ready to go. They had boots on the ground, people on four-wheelers. There were helicopters. Just kidding. That would have been awesome if there were helicopters. But we finally got the cow back in the fenced area, and we were all so happy. Well, here Jesus gives his disciples this illustration of a shepherd losing one of his own sheep. A shepherd's primary job was to protect his flock. Shepherds made sure their sheep had food and water. He made sure that the wolves wouldn't come and devour them. Their ultimate job was to care for their sheep day and night. Well, in this story that Jesus gives us, one of the shepherd's sheep, he's he's gotten out. He's gone astray. And if a shepherd truly cares for his flock, what's he going to do? He's going to do whatever he can to go after that one sheep, to bring it back into his protection, under his care. That's why Jesus says, look with me in verse 12 about the shepherd. He says, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And then Jesus says in verse 13, look with me there. He says, and if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. When that shepherd finally finds that lost sheep, there is pure and utter joy. A shepherd loves and cares so much for their flock that they cannot imagine losing one. And so when they find it, they rejoice. And look with me at verse 14, because Jesus here, he tells us the real meaning behind this parable. He says, so it is not the will of my father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Jesus isn't talking about sheep at all in this parable. Jesus is talking about the joy that God has when one of his people realizes their sin and they turn back to God. The focus of these verses is God's love for his people, even when they're straying away. Now, in Luke chapter 15, there's actually a similar story, another parable about sheep. But in that parable, Jesus is talking about non-believers, so those who are lost, don't know Christ, coming to know Christ. These verses in Matthew 18, they're talking about when God's own people realize their sin, they repent, and they turn back to God. These verses here It's about you and I and our natural tendency to run away from God and run towards sin. It's just so natural to us. We, in this parable, are the one sheep that goes astray. We so often believe that the things of this world will satisfy that deep longing our souls have to be fulfilled. Every single one of us in here, we have a desire for more, more, more. We're either going to find it in God or we're going to find it in the things of this world, like money, power, image, trinkets and toys, comfort, drugs, alcohol, sex, pornography, career, relationships, children. So often we think maybe one of those things will satisfy that hole in our soul that desires more. And for some of us in here, we know that they won't, yet we still run back to them over and over and over again. But even when we run after those things, God never gives up on us. In fact, He comes after us. He sends his Holy Spirit to live inside of us and his spirit gently convicts us and he reminds us just how much better Jesus is than the sin in this world. And God offers us grace through repentance. Church, repentance is an amazing gift from God, 
I think when we hear that word, we think of it so often as a negative, but repentance is a blessing. It is a blessing to have the Holy Spirit show us how we're living or what we're doing is wrong or sinful and then lead us back towards obedience and faithfulness. It is a blessing for our joy. And repentance doesn't just happen at the moment of conversion, though it it does. It doesn't just stop there. Repentance is a daily lifestyle of God restoring us back to himself. Every single day, you and I should be repenting to the Lord, thanking him that he's forgiven us through Christ. Because when we do, when we do repent, when the Lord sees it, when he sees us choose obedience over sin, he finds great joy in us. And here's the great news. The shepherd The shepherd never loses one of his sheep. God will never lose one of his children. Paul says it like this in Romans chapter eight. He says, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's this story in Genesis chapter 40 uh, about Joseph interpreting dreams and he's interpreting the dream of a cupbearer and a baker. Now, I don't know if you know what a cupbearer does, but a cupbearer would literally be next to Pharaoh or the king and he would drink whatever the, the king was about to drink to make sure it wasn't poisonous. Because if it was, it would kill him first and the king or the Pharaoh would be okay. Like, it just sounds like a terrible job to me. Um, can you imagine going home and your, your wife asks you, how was your day? You have to say, it was great. I'm standing here right now. You'll know if it wasn't a good day for me. But here he is, the cupbearer and this baker, they have these dreams, these crazy dreams, and they're looking for somebody to interpret it. So they find Joseph. Well, listen to the cupbearer's dream. He says, in my dream, there was a vine before me and on the vine, there were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossoms shot forth and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And then Joseph goes and he gives him his interpretation. He says, this is this interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Okay, so the baker has got to be thinking, that's awesome, Joseph. Give me an interpretation like that. Let's go, okay? And so here's the baker. He says, here's my dream. He says, there were three cake baskets on my head and in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. I bet at that point, Joseph's like, oh man, he is not gonna like this interpretation. He says, okay, buddy, here's your interpretation. He says, the three baskets, they're three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree and the birds will eat the flesh from you. Now, if I'm the baker, I am looking for a second opinion. There has to be somebody else in this prison that can interpret dreams is what I'd be thinking. But sure enough, that's exactly what happened to the baker. He did something wrong towards Pharaoh, towards the king, and his punishment was death. You see, Pharaoh, he ruled with a tight fist. When one of his people screwed up, He punished them, he abandoned them, and then he just moved on from them. But church, that is not how our God is. Even though we deserve just that, we deserve punishment because of our sin. When we sin, we abandon God and we deserve to be left alone and isolated. But God offers us grace upon grace upon grace upon grace, chance after chance. 
God never gives up on his people, no matter what they've done, because their justification is not in what they do, but in what Jesus has done for them. If you are in Christ this morning, when you fall short, when you sin, and the Father looks down on you right now, he doesn't see your failures. He sees the blood of his son on the cross and his perfect perfection in our place. And that is such good news for us. And what we have to watch out for is we have an enemy out there in Satan And he wants us to believe that God has given up on us, that we're worthless, that we're useless, that we're no good. And if others have given up on us, man, why wouldn't God, if my friends, if my family, if they've all given up on me, why wouldn't God do it? But that is a lie. And the cross is the proof of that lie. That before the foundations of the earth, Jesus saw every single one of our failures, past, present, future, and he still came into this world to lay down his life for ours. Think about that. Jesus saw every thought we would ever have, every word we would ever speak, every action, everything we would ever look at. He saw it all, and he didn't run away from us. He ran towards us so much so that he laid down his life for us, church. That is love. When you see failure yet still show grace, that is love. What are you going through in your life right now? Have you been believing the lie that God has given up on you because maybe others around you have? Do you believe that you are deeply loved and valued before the creator of the universe so much so that he would leave the 99 just to come after you? Is your faith, is your trust in Jesus? Because if it is, even on those darkest of days, no matter what you're going through, maybe it's that nagging sin There is nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ because God loves us by never giving up on us. This morning, we've looked at two evidences of God's love for us. First, we saw that God's love for us doesn't change based upon our spiritual maturity. And second, we just saw that God loves us by never giving up on us. As we finish here this morning, what I want to do is I want to make this as practical as possible for our daily lives. I don't want you just leaving here with information. I want us all leaving here with information that will eventually lead to transformation. So I want to finish here by giving you three responses to God's love for us. Three ways that we can respond to God's love for us. Let's go ahead and let's look at the first response. The first response to God's love for us is this. God's people don't look down upon others because of their sin. God's people don't look down upon other believers because of their sin. A few years ago, Barna Group did research on millennials, so my generation and why so many are leaving the church. And here was the number one reason they gave. It was overwhelming. Overwhelmingly, they saw Christians as judgmental. They feel like Christians look at others a certain way that is unloving. Now, part of this could be that they just disagree with doctrinal convictions Christians have and they call it judgmental. Absolutely, that could be part of it. But I think we would be naive to think that that's the only reason why. If any of us have been in church for any point in our lives, we've probably both been the person that has looked down upon someone else and we have felt like we've been looked down upon or felt judged ourselves. And I think what we have to remember as followers of Jesus is that none of us in here deserve God's grace. Nobody in here 
was born spiritually alive in a relationship with God. Nobody in here was born a Christian. All of us at one point in our lives were spiritually dead. We were separated from God. And the only reason we know Jesus is because God chose us to make him known to. So who are we to ever look down upon somebody else? What's been given to us has been not by our own doing. It's literally a gift from God. And the church, the body of Christ, that is the church, the body of Christ, the family of God, the people of God, the church is full of people at all different points in their walk with Jesus. We should never see another believer in sin and think proudly, speak arrogantly or just feel like we're glad that we're not them. Like, man, have you seen that person? I praise God that I don't struggle with that. See, instead of looking down upon them for their sin, their sin should break our hearts. We should do whatever we can to love them and help restore them. That's because God's people don't look down upon other believers because of their sin. Let's look at the second response to God's love for us. The second response to God's love for us is that God's people never stop extending grace. God's people never stop extending grace. In Matthew chapter 18, actually just a few verses after the text we are in this morning, we get this story of Peter coming to Jesus. And listen to the question that Peter asked Jesus. He says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Now, don't you just love the boldness and the stupidity of Peter to ask a question like that? Like, Jesus, is there, like, do I really have to forgive someone if they just keep screwing up over and over and over again? And it, the funny part is the guy asking this question, like, biblically is known as, like, the guy of king of screwing up. And so, but listen to what Jesus says. He says, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Jesus is using exaggeration here. He's not, he's not saying on that 78th time is when you finally stop forgiving people. He's, he's over-exaggerating his point to prove that we never actually stop forgiving others. God never stops forgiving us, so why would we stop forgiving others? It doesn't matter how many times people fall short, we always forgive no matter what a person has done. This means that in each of our lives in here, we need to evaluate every single one of our relationships, especially with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a former friend, a coworker, a spouse, a child, a parent, a sibling, whatever that relationship is, has it gotten to a point where you're just done with that person? You've, in a sense, given up on them because you're tired of their failures or the way they've hurt you or sinned against you. But church, no matter what, we always, as followers of Jesus, as God's people, we always run after the one lost sheep because Jesus has run after us. And here's the third and final response to God's love for us. And what I would say is the most important way we respond. The third response is this. God's people, we cling to the good shepherd. God's people cling to the good shepherd. This morning we've looked at this parable of a shepherd's deep love for his sheep, especially the one that wandered away. Well, the Bible is just filled with stories upon stories about shepherds. Moses was a shepherd. David was a shepherd. Amos and Zechariah, Old Testament prophets, they were shepherds. Shepherds close to Bethlehem, they were chosen to witness the announcement of Jesus's birth. 
But of all the shepherds in the entire Bible, only one has ever been called the good shepherd. In John chapter 10, Jesus is around a bunch of people and he's, he's, he's teaching and he begins to warn his disciples about these false shepherds that wanna come and devour the sheep. And Jesus tells his disciples to watch out for these false teachers because they want to lead God's people astray. But then Jesus says, he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. So we get this picture there from Jesus of this true shepherd that knows each of his sheep individually. So much so that he's calling them each out by name. And then Jesus says, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Not only does the shepherd know the sheep, but the sheep know who their shepherd is. And then Jesus says in verse 11 of John chapter 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Life point, the parable of the lost sheep is really just the entire story of the Bible. It's the story of God running after a people that have run away from him. And it culminates in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. See, when Adam and Eve felt so much guilt in the garden and so much shame that they hid from God, God came after them. When Moses killed a man and tried escaping to Midian, God came after him. When Jonah ran from God because he didn't want to bring the good news of forgiveness to Nineveh, God came after him. When Peter ran and disowned Jesus in his darkest moment on this earth, God came after him. When Paul was traveling to Damascus to literally try and imprison and murder Christians and hurt the name of Jesus, God came after him. And when you and I, day after day, still try to worship the things of this world over God, God came after us by sending the good shepherd into this world to lay down his life for us. See, the only way that we're gonna truly understand how much God loves us is when we understand what Jesus went through on our behalf. That the good shepherd had to lay down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd had to come into this world to live the perfect life in our place that you and I could not live. Day by day, we fall short. Day by day, our works will never be good enough for God. And if we do think that they are, all we're really doing is what we were created to do. We're boasting in like what we were created to do. The Bible says we'll never be good enough. And so Jesus came and he lived the perfect life for us. He died the death on the cross that you and I deserved. On the cross, Jesus took all of our guilt, all of our shame, all of our sin, past, present, and future. All of the Father's wrath was poured out on Jesus at that one moment. And we know that Jesus is the good shepherd because the grave could not hold him. That three days later, he resurrected and he was victorious over sin and death on our behalf. And the Bible says that if we just repent of our sin, if we confess ourselves as sinners before the Lord, trust in Jesus' perfect life, death, and resurrection, that we could be forgiven, we could be made new, brought into the family of God, but that we have the same power through the person and the work of Holy Spirit that compelled Jesus to live such a loving life he now dwells inside of us. 
See, if we want to truly love like Jesus has loved us, we need to cling to Jesus and realize how much he has loved us and realize that it's as we fall more in love with Jesus on a daily basis, we're going to love those around us. And so I would ask you this this morning, what does your relationship with Jesus look like right now? Are you at a point in your life where you're just a Sunday morning person? Maybe even just a couple times. Maybe a Sunday and I have a community group, you know, I visit once in a while on there as well. Or are you ferociously chasing Jesus in your life because he is the point of our lives? Are you daily trying to get to know him more deeply? And the good news is, as we just saw this morning, if the answer is no, and we feel like in our hearts, maybe we've wandered off a little bit, the father is right there chasing after us. He is ready to bring us back home. All we need to do is repent and turn back towards Jesus. Or maybe you're in here this morning and you've never come to a point in your life where you have followed Jesus and you're realizing how much God loves you today through the cross. If that's you this morning, we'll have pastors standing up here as the song is going and after the song and we would just love to pray with you because church, God's love transforms us into people that love one another.